Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. We want to start out today's episode with an announcement about our friend and colleague, Megan Crow. Megan has decided to seize a great opportunity at another law firm, Walton and Telkin, and will not be joining us anymore. We wish Megan the very best. We already miss her dearly and hope that she will consider returning as a guest host with us sometime in the future. So thank you for all your insight and fun over the last couple of years, Megan. We wish you the best of luck. Now, for the episode today, I am joined by Erica Slater, Elizabeth McNulty, and Liz Lenevy. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hey. Hello. I love how I make you all answer me when I say those things. But okay, today we're going to talk about AI and chat GPT. We've seen a lot of this in the news, particularly over the last, gosh, you know, six months, eight months, almost a year with chat GPT kind of hitting the market, so to speak, and taking over a lot of news time. For lawyers, this is something that we've been talking about. There's been seminars about it. People have been trying to explain how it works, and I still have not figured that out in terms of literally how it works, other than I understand that it has taken it, meaning I guess the program, has taken pretty much anything and everything that it can find on the Internet, analyzed it, condensed it, summarized it, and if I said to chat, chat GP, write me a speech about civil rights, make it 500 words in the voice of Martin Luther King Jr., it would spit something out really, really quickly. And the reason why that part comes up, I had a trial college earlier this summer. One of my students and I were chatting one evening, and I said, oh, I have to write a speech for becoming the president of MATA. And she goes, oh, well, have Chat GPT write it. And I thought, oh, I hadn't even thought about that because out of context, I really didn't know what it meant. So I downloaded, she helped me download the app (laughs) and I just started asking it, write 500 words about trial attorneys. And it was just spitting out all kinds of lofty, really high soaring rhetoric, which was kind of cool and mostly true. So I, when I actually did give my speech, Uh, for being the incoming president, I started out, my first paragraph was written by ChatGPT. I joked about how it was written by ChatGPT because everybody was kind of listening. And Erica, I think you said this later. You're like, yeah, that was a first good first paragraph. But I'm like, that just doesn't sound like you. (laughs) (laughs) It's not me. Uh, It was just a little too perfect. It was a little Uh bit too precise. But it comes up because a lot of our colleagues, a lot of the discussion that we've had is whether chat GPT or other AI is going to kind of take over our jobs or at least take over a lot of the writing part of our jobs. And I know that there's at least one case out there, I believe it's action being taken on a law license of a lawyer 
who had ChatGPT write a motion of some sort for court. And what we've learned is that ChatGPT will just make up sites, make up cases to cite and quotes from cases that just don't exist. So the citation looks appropriate and legitimate, but if you were actually to type in the case to Westlaw or LexisNexis or whatever, it doesn't exist. So that's bad. And I think that has chilled a lot of us from taking it any further, like actually seeing if ChatGPT can do something for you. But I don't know, have you all had any thoughts about ChatGPT and whether it can help or hurt your practice? Well, I just Googled, will ChatGPT end lawyers? Oh, that's... <laughs> and Cleo says, lacking the nuance necessary to create consistently accurate responses, let alone complex legal arguments, it's safe to say that at this stage at least, ChatGPT is not in a position to replace lawyers. Additionally, a lawyer's ethical obligations will always take precedence over convenience. That feels good. It does feel good, but at the same time, you know, I agree with you. And a lot of the CLEs and things that we've been at lately, there's kind of this, you know, underlying like AI use of technology uh, in the law and how to do it and if it can help or if it only hurts. Now, let me share a recent story. I just heard this morning from my wife. She works with consulting agencies that, you know, go in and and do, I'm going to be so vague about this mostly because I don't understand it, like help companies innovate or get out of a rut in, you know, their business practices or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> the guy she works with is a good friend of ours. And I get a text message from him like two weeks ago and he's like, you went to law school, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, dude, you know I'm a lawyer. And he's like, are all the law professors this dry? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm working with a law school, which I will not disclose the name of it. And, you know, he's the innovator. He's like this very gregarious, you know, guy who helps people brainstorm and, and, you know, he's the vendor that's hired by the client to come in and do these workshops. And apparently he's in a room of law professors working with the law school. And he was floored after working with companies and very future thinking, innovative, you know, platforms to step into a room of law professors and how they just didn't ushin and, you know, Kristen and I were talking about it this morning and she's like, yeah, because they're all sitting there like, what's the proof? Where's the case studies? Where, how has this worked in the future? How can you guarantee, you know, these ideas that you're trying to make us come up with are going to yield results? Because we're always backward looking. We're looking at precedent and how do we argue and determine what's going to happen in the future by applying what has already been done and rules that have already been set. And that framework is just a complete cesspool <laughs> for innovation and embracing technology. And I feel like there's these, you know, handful of unicorns out in the legal profession who like run around to CLEs and maybe large law firms and like try to pull them up from the swamp of like, you can use something called a smartphone <laughs> and it can show you case law <laughs> while you're at the court. 
<laughs> you know? So, I mean, I think that, you know, we're a very old profession who, I mean, I've been practicing over a decade and I feel like there were still, you know, I was still taught how to look up things in legal print and which sounds so silly. I mean, we still use the, is it the Boolean system for searching on Westlaw? Oh, yeah. And yeah. now like the algorithm is more like Google. And like, sometimes I can't, I can't figure out how to not be like, this word within 10 of this word, right. but not this, you know, using all your little symbols. And so our, our profession is struggling, I think, with concepts of AI, especially because we've always been slow adopters of technology. And, you know, I think over the past decade or two, we've gotten better at technology in the courtroom. But even that is one of those discussions that depending on your case, like, keep it simple, stupid. You don't need a bunch of fancy things. You don't need, you know, PowerPoints with, you know, graphics that are you created to be moved, you know, like it's just not necessary. You might be hiring an expert who makes some sort of demonstrative that looks fancy and technological, but you know, that's their industry, which probably innovates if they're engineers or something like that. So I think that when it comes to AI concepts and how we can incorporate them into our practice. I just, you know, I just think me personally and probably us as a whole without someone who's like leading the charge of like, this is how you use it. This is how it helps our practice. I feel like, you know, five years from now, I might incorporate something like that that might help my practice. I'm curious if a similar panic arose when services like Westlaw and Lexis came out, because it really revolutionized the way we are able to research. Like, obviously, I'm too young to remember, like, when you had to use books to do that. But Ouch. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I wish I wasn't. You know, it sounds fun. Well, it was foolish. <laughs> but, but the practice of law was so much slower then. You couldn't fit as much in your day because you had to go find your books. I <laughs> Yeah. Or, and then highlight them. Or write out <laughs> like a letter. Back to your computer or your writer and mm -hmm. then type up. Yeah, no, it's nuts. Yeah, so, if and I'm sure people were panicked because it's like, well, they're not going to need as many lawyers now because it doesn't take us, you know, 10 hours to look up five cases. I'm sure you are more efficient than that. But now you can do all of that in, you know, a matter of minutes. So I feel like it's new, so people are freaked out about it, but soon you'll find ways for it to be, you know, work into your practice and hopefully not just like make up stuff, but there will be ways to work it in in an ethical way. And then we will be expected to just do a lot more with our time. Just like, you know, when that shift happened, Liz and I were talking about the other day about how we've become like so much more efficient in such a short mm -hmm. amount of time. And it just like pushes I feel like the industry or like our bosses to just always want more and like you can do more with the hours you're given. So, I mean, ultimately it's just like exhausting, but. That, yeah, Elizabeth and I, you were correct. We went to a face-to-face -face in human lunch and we were chatting about how much more efficient workers in general, not just lawyers, but workers in general are because of technology. I mean, a, a letter, a demand letter that may have taken a week to get to someone can now be sent in literal seconds. And I think 
initially, probably the thought, the technology will mean that you have more time to do other things. Maybe, I don't, I don't know what the thought was, but enjoy your life. Yeah. It'll make your life easier, right? It's supposed to be like Rosie, the robot in the Jetsons. Like you don't have to clean your house now. Something else cleans your house. But all it means is that you have time for, for more work and the emails are nonstop. And, you know, thinking about chat GPT and full disclosure, I really don't understand much about chat GPT beyond what I read in articles typically on my phone my smartphone and I've never used it my husband did use it actually to plan part of our vacation he typed into chat GPT I'm going to this location what are some things I can do and it it spat out some restaurants and some sightseeing things and he said okay and he handed me this list of things and I was like this this is incredible like when did you have time to do all this research and he's like I didn't chat GPT did it for me and I went no not that because I'm I, to the robot restaurants. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of a little bit uh, hesitant about it. And specifically when I think about, well, how are lawyers going to do it? How is it, how is something like chat GPT going to improve our practice? And one option may be it could help with research, but Amy, as you mentioned, that case in New York which I I read everything I could about oh, that because oh I got sucked down that yeah. rabbit hole. Yes. So it's I I went as far as like reading the filings cuz that that got pulled up and posted on Twitter. Someone went on Pacer, downloaded everything, posted it on Twitter and I read all the filings I could find. And this was a couple months ago. So I Again, I don't do well with change if I haven't established that already. That's why you have that stack of books in your office where you do your research. That's why I have a physical calendar that I carry with me everywhere instead of just keeping it in my phone like so many other people my age do. Do you print out your emails? <laughs> Did you print the internet? <laughs> no, Meemaw doesn't print out her emails. Um, but, but this case, from what I can remember... These two attorneys, I think one was just local counsel, but he still got sucked into it. So there's something important to take from that is even if you're local counsel, you don't get to just say, well, I didn't really file it. Still, it's still your bar number. They had some sort of motion. I believe they had to respond to and they had ChatGPT write the motion for them. And that included citing case law as most of our motions do. They submitted it to the judge and the, I believe the opposing counsel informed the court or wrote in a reply, we cannot locate these cases. We don't know where like these multiple? cases, multiple cases. Oh. And the court, I believe, issued an order saying you need to produce the case law for or maybe five, six cases, something like that, for multiple cases. Not It wasn't just one or two. And these sanctioned lawyers, because spoiler alert, they got sanctioned, went back to ChatGPT and said, hey, find these cases. And ChatGPT created case law. Oh, stop. They, it created the case law, not just locating case law or making something up and then just providing a pin site. It went even a step further and created these opinions. And the other side, I can't imagine what the opposing I'd be losing my and mind. They turned in those? And they turned these cases in. Oh, yeah. And the opposing counsel is still saying, news. I can't find this on Westlaw, on Lexis. We have searched everywhere. They probably went crawling through a law library, too, to find now, these at cases. At what point did the attorneys understand that the cases were bogus and what was, uh, like, pulled were also completely 
manufacturing. I mean, way way too late after yeah. they had submit they had submitted. I'm the wondering fake like how egregious law. is this? It it was bad. Are you it's bad. Or are you just the first one was lazy. The second one was actionable. Well, yes. Do you think that they knew that they were asking Chat GPT to make up the cases, or were they just asking it to pull them? According to the affidavit that the attorney signed. He did not realize that these were fake cases. He had allegedly a genuine belief that these were real cases and that ChatGPT had pulled from actual existing case law. And he did not know until after he had submitted everything. And the court came back and said, we can't, we still can't find these cases. And then he, I think at that point is when he came clean and said, well, we used AI, this new AI to, to write the motion. And, and none of this was intentional. This was not an, you know, your honor, this was not an intentional so misrepresentation, flat out lie. We're too to lazy to write the motion. We certainly didn't write the cases that were made up. Right. And, and I'll say, I've had moments sometimes where I might misremember something from an actual existing case. And I... The, the level of anxiety I have yeah. when I realize I've misremembered actual case law. I can't imagine the horrifying level of panic you have to experience when you realize what you've done, what, what those attorneys realize. And, and I'm, I'm not saying I feel bad for him, but here's my thought about in light of all of that. If, if you had an AI fake case law, write the motion for you, I wonder almost if it's going to make us worse lawyers because I feel like I learned so much about my cases and really just the nuance of my cases by writing the motions myself. But there is something about when you sit down and you write something and you have to organize your thoughts and you have to put it into a fact pattern to submit to someone who knows nothing about your case, who hasn't been living your case for the last two, three years. That is such an incredible just way to study up on something and to really familiarize yourself and just get it into your brain. And so when you ask ChatGPT to write a motion for you, what are you losing out on? Also, the other thing that I've seen attorneys talk about is let's say you do want ChatGPT to write a motion for you. Well, you have facts that you have to provide it are you violating attorney-client privilege by providing... Now, that's different than, like, let's say going into Westlaw and typing up something like, you know, tell me about this rule or this particular legal issue, and then I can apply that law to my facts. You now have to supply those facts into an AI. But it's not a person. So It's I'd, not a person, but, but here's the it, thing. Well, it how learn? is it protected? It doesn't learn, but also how is it protected? Are you protecting your client's information enough? I mean, let's say, for example, Elizabeth, you and I are on an elevator together and we're chatting about a case. Uh, and obviously you have attorney-client privilege because you're within the same firm as, as my client. But there's someone else on the elevator with us. Am I doing enough to protect that information? I don't want that person to hear the information. That's an example that I've seen used. Of, you have to be careful about where you are providing that information. Same thing with emails. Think about how we have to protect our emails. And you could be subject to malpractice if you have a breach and client-protected information comes out. So that's the thing. ChatGPT, it's, 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 it is, it, it's the Internet. I mean, it's, it's not just, you know, some sort of internal, you know, what, what is it called? In, intranet 
the thing that we have that's internal, that's, yes. yeah. right? It's not, the, it's not the intranet. So you have to think about how are you protecting that if you do that kind of search. And, and that information, like say you like recite the facts or something like that or have to divulge client information to have chat GPT produce something. Mm -hmm. I mean, the questions or what you're feeding into it is clearly now proprietary like information of the people who own chat GPT, you know, if they're running their algorithms and analyzing, mm -hmm. you know, what they're doing. Yeah. This, this is why lawyers are obnoxious. <laughs> like my brain kind of exploded at that point, Liz, but because I, I had never thought about that. And I, I think it's worth being worried about. But I would think that anything you're going to input into ChatGPT to like create a motion, you would put in the motion itself. So it's no longer protected. I don't know what you would put in there. Elizabeth, to kind of get to your point, because I was a little confused when I had first seen these articles about what do you what do you mean attorney client privilege? Like I'm I'm talking to a robot. It's not a sentient being. <laughs> I hope not. At that point, if yes. it, if uh, if it's a sentient being and I'm breaking attorney client privilege that way, then we've lost, folks. We've lost. <laughs> we've got bigger problems. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that Will Smith movie, but it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, because I. Cause I tried to do a, a little bit of searching on this before we started uh, recording. And there's actually something that I think came out from the Connecticut Bar Association. It's Informal Opinion 2013-07 that talks about Rule 1.6, which is the confidenti confidentiality of client information, specifically subsection E, a lawyer shall make reasonable efforts to prevent the inadvertent or unauthorized disclosure of or unauthorized access to information relating to the representation of a client. And that CBA opinion then went on to say, you know, the duty of confidentiality imposed by Rule 1.6e requires a lawyer to avoid using means or methods of holding and delivering data that present an unreasonable risk of unintended disclosures to and access by unauthorized third parties. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't say it has to be human, just says unauthorized third parties. Well, corporations can be people, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. It goes on, the necessary due diligence requires that lawyers should be satisfied that the cloud service providers, transmission, storage, and possession of the data does not diminish the lawyer's ownership of an unfettered ac accessibility to the data and security policies and mechanisms to segregate the lawyer's data and prevent unauthorized access to the data by others, including the cloud service provider. So that's, I mean, they're talking about the cloud, which again, this is all going so far over my head, but what it tells me is that I should be scared about using ChatGPT for anything outside of, I guess maybe asking it to do research for me and then uh, me double checking that research. Well, I just don't think you should put anything privileged in there, but I'm not really sure you should ever like Google search something that's like privileged and confidential. I feel like it might be more if you are like a criminal defense attorney, I feel like they deal with maybe some more sensitive things mm -hmm. that not that we don't, but just my client told me where the murder weapon is. What yeah. do I do? <laughs> pertinent to what they're like researching on chat GPT. But I think another thing is like what the court system is going to do about this because it's clearly an issue. I think some courts have said that you have to disclose whether you're going whether you've used AI in your filings or not. Do you know if Missouri has? No, not yet. No. Okay. So I opened my chat GPT app and it's probably listening to us, but 
I asked, how can ChatGPT help me as a lawyer? And it spit out a wonderful list. Number one, legal research. Number two, drafting documents. Number three, answering, answering queries. Number four, brainstorming and strategy. Number five, learning and training. Number six, preparing for court. Number seven, language and communication. And eight, staying updated. And then it says at the end, a little disclaimer. Remember, while ChatGPT can be a helpful tool, it's important to cross-reference its suggestions <laughs> with verified legal sources, as it might not always have the most up-to-date or jurisdiction-specific information. I don't. I think that's a little light as far as yeah. up-to-date. It mm -hmm. doesn't may not have actual legitimate, accurate sources. Is probably what it should. Say. I I feel like you just hired like your super genius fifth grader with no law school training as your associate, and <laughs> now you need to check their work. <laughs> can Can you ask? chat gpt how can chat gpt harm me as a lawyer how can chat gpt hurt me as a lawyer question mark okay it's thinking oh wait it just gave me a big black look at that oh wait <laughs> it gave you a big black hole and you're supposed it, to it jump was, into it yeah and then the profession falls in on this is this is when it this is when it responds we can't hurt you amy we can only help you <laughs> Did you hear my question? We heard you, Amy. <laughs> yes, I heard your question. This is this is live, y'all. Yes, I heard my question. My previous response provided information on how ChatGPT can assist lawyers in various aspects of their work. If you have more specific questions or if there's something else you'd like to know, feel free to ask! Exclamation <laughs> point. I, I don't want to push it, but I guess it didn't understand the difference between help and hurt. But I will say, as we were talking, I was thinking about one thing that I would feel comfortable asking ChatGPT Chat on a specific case. And that is sort of themes. I saying something like, I have a medical malpractice case where, and trying not to get too detailed, where you know a baby was injured during labor and delivery. Can you help me with some themes for trying this case? And I feel like that could be helpful. I don't actually want to ask it that right this minute. I think it might be a little mad at me, so I might end <laughs> that chat and start a new one. But I, and I've not used it for that, but just in thinking of things that won't scare me or confuse me, which are the two takeaways I have right now about chat GPT, I'm confused and scared, that might maybe asking it to help me with some themes or perspectives could could be helpful. I mean, could, that couldn't hurt anything. Or resources. Like, can yeah. you, you know, I'm looking for information on XYZ medical topic. You know, can you teach me about this type of surgery? Yeah. Because you're evaluating a case. Yeah. And you need to learn, like, I don't know, what is that abdominal surgery that I've never seen before? And maybe it could give you, like, a quick digest of resources, like maybe a YouTube video, a paragraph, or you know, a good source for this is what the surgery is. And you can educate yourself quicker than if you're just clicking around yourself. Exactly. Because if you type that into Google, you just get a whole bunch of websites that you'd have to sift through, maybe some YouTube videos. But I do think if you ask ChatGPT to get right to it and just start explaining it to you. 
Now I've admitted to all of our listeners that I watch surgical videos quite a bit. <laughs> you got to learn. Yeah. How we learn. It's one of our favorite parts of the job. Well, as I said, my two takeaways from this discussion are fear and confusion. But hopefully our listeners, if you haven't already started thinking about how chat GPT can help or harm your work as a lawyer, I, I think it's coming, y'all. I think there's no way to ignore it. So it's probably worth uh, an internal uh, or external discussion among yourselves and your colleagues. So, but thank you for listening to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. We drop episodes every Wednesday. And if you have any questions or comments, please visit us at heelsinthecourtroom.long. Thank you. Brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. At the Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, Feel free to share your thoughts with Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.